I think a lot of people, you know, just make it through the day to day and think about exiting when they have a reason to think about exiting. Unfortunately, when the heat is turned on and it's really you're feeling the pressure to exit, sometimes that's kind of late in the game to to start to do the kinds of things you need to do to exit on your own terms. So so my advice is start thinking about it as soon as you have the capacity to do so. Three, two, one, zero, ignition, liftoff. Ending small business failure. Welcome to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with the number one small business expert, Melinda Emerson. Melinda's goal is to end small business failure, and she'll give you the information you need to succeed and live the life you dream of. Now, here's your host, the Small Biz Chat Lady herself, Melinda Emerson. Hi, everyone. I'm Melinda Emerson, the Small Biz Lady, America's number one small business expert. And I'm excited to welcome you to another edition of the Small Biz Chat Podcast. We have an amazing show in store for you today. If you are thinking about exit planning from your business, I have an amazing expert here who's going to talk to you about how she transitioned out of her business. And it's probably not what you would think. Now, if you're ready to start planning your business transition, whether you're going to sell your business or something else, I have an expert who's really going to give us some insight into how to thoughtfully exit from your business in a way that is financially lucrative and also beneficial to your employees. Now, here on the Small Business Chat podcast, our mission is to end small business failure. We are a peer-to-peer mentoring show, and we bring in experts from different angles to give you advice. And the goal is always to help you take your business to the next level. Now, the Small Biz Chat podcast can be seen on my Small Biz Lady Facebook page, and it can also be seen on my Small Biz Lady YouTube channel. So if you're watching us, please leave a comment. Please subscribe to my channel. And of course, share it with others so that other people can get the benefit of all of this expertise that right now you do not have to pay for. So with that, I am so excited to introduce today's guest, Sarah Durham, and she is an entrepreneur and creative consultant with a passion for helping entrepreneurs. She founded Big Duck in 1994 to help nonprofits increase their visibility, raise money, and communicate more effectively. And now she serves on its boards of directors after selling the business to her employees in 2021. Sarah now provides coaching to entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and women in leadership roles through her firm, Compton Durham. For more information, you can go to Compton Durham. Dot com. Sarah, welcome to the Small Biz Chat Podcast. Hi, Melinda. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. So tell us about your entrepreneurial journey. Like me, you started your business when you were pretty young. I did. And perhaps like a lot of your listeners, I started my business a little bit by accident. I was a, a creative freelancer and I saw an opportunity to turn a couple of freelance clients into um, studio clients. And I began a business in the mid 90s. And For the first five or six years, I would say the business really ran me. And then I made a decision to try to kind of um, educate myself, kind of give myself an MBA, start to work with consultants, really go pro. And I grew the business over many years. And my job got smaller and smaller as I built a high performance team. Um, Probably 25 years into running my agency, 
I actually bought a second agency, a digital business uh, that was a partner agency that was kind of failing. And I ran both those businesses in parallel. And then last year, as you mentioned, I sold Big Duck to my employees. It became a worker-owned cooperative. That was something that was in the works for many years. And I sold the digital agency to a peer agency. So I I, I sold it to a, a larger agency. And now, as you mentioned, I, I'm running my third business where I, I work as an executive coach, which I love because I get to be the, uh, the pit crew or the support team for the next generation of leaders. So you said a whole lot there. So let's talk about how you transitioned your business to your employees. So what, I mean, explain that to us, because I, <laughs> when I learned that about you, I was like, oh no, I want to know the details about how you did this. How long did it take you? How, you know, how long did you plan before you did it? And how hard was it even to do? Yeah. Well, the the conversation about exiting my company actually started 10 or 11 years before it happened. It happened for me the way it happens for a lot of entrepreneurs when I had to sign a long lease on a big office space. And, uh, and at that point, I thought, well, at the end of this lease, there's a chance that I will be ready to transition. I'll be in my early 50s. I'll be empty nesting. If I'm ever going to do anything else professionally, that may be when I want to do it. And so I kind of very gently began a conversation with a couple of people on my company's leadership team about that, about you know how the business might transition if I was, and, and my goal was to sell the company. So we had these kind of quiet conversations for a while, but what really sparked the move towards employee ownership and becoming a co-op was at the beginning of the COVID lockdown when the, when the world just required us as leaders collectively to innovate and to look for new solutions to new challenges. And what I saw on my team was an amazing group of people rising to that challenge who had the, the mojo to solve the problems that the company needed solved in 2019, 2020. And, um, and myself feeling like, you know what, maybe it's time for me to step aside. Maybe it's time to let the next generation lead. How do we do that? And so we started doing a bunch of research it turns out there is a very, very helpful national campaign about employee ownership called EO Equals. And um, through some research we did and through some talking to, talking to some people, we started thinking about me selling the business to my employees. And we started looking at some of the, the options to do that. And we entered into a feasibility exercise and we found that it was possible for us. And so Probably from start to finish, once we identified that we wanted to become a worker-owned cooperative, it took about a year. And at that point, I exited the company, and um, and the people who had been working in the company for a while continue to run the company today as worker owners. So you exited the company, but like, how many employees did you have at this point? Like, How big of a company did you have? I think at the time we transitioned to become a co-op, we were about 15. So becoming a co-op is a really great option for a lot of smaller companies. There, there are three types of employee ownership. There's ESOPs or employee stock ownership plans. And those are great. A lot of people know about ESOPs, but ESOPs are qualified retirement plans and they are recommended for bigger companies, companies with 40 or 50 employees or, you know, a, a lot of a lot more revenue. There are a lot of great tax benefits in them, but they're complicated for smaller companies. Worker owned cooperatives are a great option because they're super flexible 
And one of the things that was very motivating to me and my team was the ability in a workaround co-op to share both the equity and the governance of the, of the company. The third option are employee ownership trusts or EOTs, which combines a trust with aspects of a worker cooperative. But we went co-op because it really was the most aligned with our, our values and the strength of our team. So, okay. So it took you a year to do this. What kind of experts, lawyers, like, like who, who, how did, you know, who did you have to have to do this? Cause I, I'm still very intrigued by this. So I, I really want to understand what kind of team did you have to put in place to actually make the transition out? Yeah. So we were very lucky when we went through this because we had an excellent consultant called the ICA group who helped us navigate the process. They specialize, they're a nonprofit and they specialize in helping small businesses go through the feasibility and then the operational steps to become a worker owned co-op. And um, and they're part of the EO equals campaign I mentioned earlier. Of course we had accountants and lawyers. I mean, when I compare the the business that I sold to my employees as a co-op to the business I sold to another agency, There were accountants and lawyers in the room for both of those deals a lot. But with the co-op, we actually elected to have one lawyer that we shared between me and the co-op. Again, in an attempt to really just make it as equitable as possible and and to reduce the contentiousness of the deal. Mm -hmm. So you were just able to, like, through your through the EO equals campaign, that's how you found your consultants? Or did you like, were you doing an internet search and found them? Like, how did you find the people? It was a combination of things. Actually, one of the things we, at at the very beginning, I said to my employees, a couple of people on the leadership team, um, if I wanted to sell this business to you, would you be interested in buying it personally? If I wanted to sell this to another agency, how would you feel about working for the agency? We sort of began some quiet conversations. And what emerged was that moving towards a less hierarchical, less one person owns it all structure really felt right with the values of the of the company. So we started talking to other businesses that had done things like that, businesses we knew that had become ESOPs or co-ops, and we started looking for consultants. So we basically went on a fact-finding mission, and that really helped us not necessarily decide what we wanted to do, but narrow the playing field. I mean, it's interesting. That part is very hard. And now in my work as a coach, I do a lot of coaching with entrepreneurs around understanding their options, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs really don't understand what's out there and don't understand the difference between what happens to your business if you sell it to a big agency or a big, you know, or small competitor or your employees, et cetera. So that part is a little bit murky for a lot of people, but but you just do your homework and hopefully you find the find the solution. But isn't it also the case that like eight out of 10 businesses might think they can sell and they can't because the business is still far too reliant on the owner? The business? Yes. Yes. I, I think that I don't know if that's the exact number. It could well be the vast majority of businesses are not saleable. I got a piece of advice from a consultant very early on in my business, which I found helpful. And it's a, it's something I try to instill in my work with the people I coach too, which is the idea of running and growing your business with the idea of it being saleable. That doesn't mean you will sell it. It means that you have the attributes that make it potentially saleable. And one of those attributes is certainly that it cannot be wholly reliant on one person. There are lots of other things that it needs to have, I think, to be 
saleable. But for me, the that that set forth. I mean, I, I made that decision, um, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago to try to run my my business so that it could be saleable because I figured that's an efficient, well-run business. And if I ended up just shutting the doors and walking away, it, it couldn't hurt. So uh, I think it's a good practice. I think it is too. So what was hard about it, right? So you, you've talked glowingly about what happened in the end, but I need the deets, right? So tell me... <laughs> What was hard about transitioning out of this business that you had run for 25 years in this way? Yeah, well, I'm sure you and and the people watching and listening to this can relate to the fact that, you know, any business that you found and run for a long time, it's kind of like a child. You know, you have ideas about what you want it to be or become. You may or may not be right <laughs> about those ideas. It's got to it's got to go on its own journey. As we were transitioning to a place where I was separating from the business and we were kind of working out the details of the deal, I really had to practice letting go, not chiming in on decisions I used to chime in on, moving more towards a backseat coaching role, you know, which I had kind of been doing for years, but but I really had to stop being central to conversations in order to make space for my colleagues to practice, you know, stepping into those, those decisions. The other thing that was, I think, very challenging in the last few months before we did the deal was that we did have to negotiate against each other to some extent. We had to iron out how we extracted me from the company, and it had been my company for 28 years. So there's a little tension in that. I think we navigated it well in the end. And then, of course, for the the people who now own the business, the the worker owners of the business, there was this kind of flying the plane, uh, you know, while you're rebuilding it from the inside out piece. Because as a co-op, the co-op has has new values, new structures, new new things. It might want to innovate without me in the room. So maintaining the company and keeping what has been strong about it in the past, but still reinventing it, I think, has been. Uh, part of the challenge for for the the team in this first year. Was transitioning to employee ownership lucrative or did you like take a big haircut to do it? I mean, like, <laughs> like how did you, how, you know, was it, was it financially a good, was it like a windfall? Like, did you, did you feel like I did this for 28 years, I'm leaving and I got a big old purse full of money with me as I walk out the, I mean, like, how did it work? Yeah. So so if you've ever structured a deal, there are lots of ways to value a company and there are lots of ways to structure a deal. I didn't take a haircut. Um, you know, the business was valued. And in any valuation, there's usually a range. And I sold the company to my employees for within that range. There are actually banks that help finance these kinds of deals specifically to promote employee ownership. And so we were able to get financing for the deal. So I received a certain amount of cash at closing, and then I have an earnout over many years. Okay. So um, if I had sold the business perhaps to a big holding company or some, you know, hedge fund or equity firm or something like that, um, could I have made more money? Perhaps, but that would have been, I think, very misaligned with the goals of my employees and and the values of the company. So I feel very happy with the outcome all around. Well, I think that's a good answer. So Sarah, what advice would you give a business owner who is thinking about, you know, their transition out of their business? How early should you start, you know, thinking about it and planning it before you're actually going to do it? 
I mean, ideally, I would follow Stephen Covey's advice. In, in his writing, he talks about beginning with the end in mind. And, um, and right now in my coaching, I have several clients who are new businesses, businesses, one that's a year old, one that's about three years old, where they're actually right now anticipating the way they want to exit so that they can build and grow their business for the eventual exit that they want. With that said, I think a lot of people, you know, just make it through the day to day and think about exiting when they have a reason to think about exiting. Unfortunately, when the heat is turned on and it's really you're feeling the pressure to exit, sometimes that's kind of late in the game to to start to do the kinds of things you need to do to exit on your own terms. So so my advice is start thinking about it as soon as you have the capacity to do so. So I know that you sold your your first business to your employees, your other business you sold to another agency. What was that personal transition like for you? It's one thing for you to kind of transition out of the day to day, but what was it like, like the day after you woke up and you had given the keys to them, right? And you were like, <laughs> okay, who am I today if I'm not up worrying about this business? I mean, like, did you, did you go through a... Um, I don't want to call it some kind of depression or something, but did you go through a like, okay, what am I going to, you know, like, who am I if I'm not worried about this business every day? Did you go through that? I have to say, in all honesty, not, not for a minute. Uh, I've been, I've been very, very happy and very um, satisfied in the decision. And I actually did expect to go through some amount of grieving or transition. You hear a lot of stories about entrepreneurs who sell their businesses and then you know buy them back or regret <laughs> that decision. Um, that has not been the case for me, and I think it's because I had for so long thought about exiting and had for so long thought about what are the sort of fundamental building blocks of a meaningful career for me. And I think one one of the things we haven't talked about that was intrinsic to my decision, and I think is the reason I felt good, is that you know I had had like you you know, nearly three decades of being the leader, the person at the head of the table, I was really ready to not be that anymore. I want to be the, you know, the support for the next generation. And it just feels great to be able to do that now. Definitely. I I, I can completely agree with you uh, about that. So what would you say in, in all of this transitioning that you've done what is the best advice anyone has ever given you in business? Not necessarily about your exit, but just in general. Like what was just some really good advice somebody gave you that you realized like over all these years, you're like, you know, that was excellent advice that someone gave me. You know, I think a lot of people early in my career gave me the advice to really be myself and find my authentic voice as a leader, my own style as a leader. And I think those words made a lot of sense, but it wasn't until I actually kind of had that aha moment of like, oh, this is who I am as an entrepreneur. This is who I am as a boss. This is why I'm different from you or you or you or you, that I really started to feel empowered to run my business in a way that aligned more truly with my values, my goals in life, my identity. And, and that was really what the rocket fuel was. So, you know, be yourself. That's, that's How the best you can be. In, did you finally get that self self comfort to do that though? I mean, probably 10 years in 15 years in took a while. 
I think that's a fair statement because I can actually say the exact same thing. I think you you start a business when you're in your 20s and you're like, I'm supposed to know everything. And then you finally get to the point where you're like, nobody could know everything. Why do I think that? Why did I put all that pressure on myself? You know, so I, I definitely agree with you that you have to come full circle with your own confidence in yourself and, and being confident enough to say, I don't know the answer. I think it is a is a really watershed moment for a lot of young young entrepreneurs. Well, Sarah, I have enjoyed learning about you and your story so much. I just wanted to share that story because I think a lot of people don't think about exiting until maybe some real tragedy happens and they have to think about it in a very urgent way. And I think thinking about exiting from your business in a more thoughtful way earlier on, three years, five years ahead of time is a much better much, much better way to do it. So thank you so much for the advice that you shared. I just wanted to thank you for being here today. This has been an amazing show. Thank you to my guest, executive coach, Sarah Durham. Check out her website, comptondurham.com. And thank you all for joining me for this episode of the Small Biz Chat Podcast. If you're working on your digital marketing skills, be sure to check out Small Biz Lady University for the month of November All of my online marketing courses are 50% off. All you have to do is use my code SBL50 and all of my courses are 50% off. And I never do this. So y'all better get on it. Okay. Now the mission of the Small Biz Chat Podcast is to end small business failure. I'm Melinda Emerson, your host, and I will leave you with this. You never lose in business. Either you win or you learn. God bless everybody. Thanks for listening to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with Melinda Emerson. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and join us next Wednesday for more fantastic information and interviews. You can find more sources and small business success strategies by visiting Melinda's website, succeedasyourownboss.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.